We're continuing in our series, if you couldn't tell, The Game of Life. And today we're talking about managing our relationships. How we interact with others, especially our close friends and family members, is a part of life that can be as unpredictable as your mood ring. I mean, it can be messy. The video reminds us of how messy relationships can be. And it's not just male-female romantic relationships. It's any relationship, any friendship. It takes some real skill, some real wisdom to manage this difficult area in our game of life. The Bible says that an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. He defiles all sound judgment. I mean, that sounds pretty important. That's saying that if you're unfriendly, if you're not a good manager of friendships, then you're pretty much bad in all kinds of judgments. So pretty important topic here. We need to get a handle on this. When Jerry Seinfeld began his comedy show, he paid one of his New York buddies what he considered to be a big compliment. He named a character on the show after one of his friends. The friend's name was Mike Costanza. The character on the show was George Costanza. Remember George? Well, what's more, after the show began to be successful, Jerry arranged for Mike to get a bit part in one of the episodes. So apparently Jerry valued this friendship very much and he was willing to do anything he could to show that. At first, Mike Costanza reveled in the glory of having a character on the hit show named after him. There were more than a few similarities between the two and he would tell his friends braggingly, I am George. However, the character of George wasn't exactly like Mike and the writers of Seinfeld began to write some other things in to the script. Things that were very embarrassing for Mike. For example, George was ecstatic one time when his fiancée passed away. He didn't have to marry her. Another time he knocked a little old lady down trying to get out of a burning building. Things like this that weren't going so well in Mike's mind and finally he had had enough that George Costanza character was ruining his life. The people he had impressed earlier were now thinking he was the ultimate loser. So Mike did the only thing he knew how to do. He sued Jerry Seinfeld for a hundred million dollars for using his name incorrectly. Now I don't know what the outcome was exactly. And the fact is that Jerry Seinfeld could have probably paid the lawsuit with one trip to his local ATM. Still, I couldn't help but feel sorry for Seinfeld. Not because of the lawsuit, but because even the great Jerry Seinfeld is not immune to a failed relationship. Most of the joy we experience in life and most of the pain can all be the result of our relationships. It applies to friendships, marriages, parent-child relationship, student-teacher, work relations. When you're surrounded by people you love and people that love you, well, it makes the hardships of life a little bit easier to handle. On the other hand, no amount of success can ever compensate for the pain of those failed relationships, right? You've been there. Billionaire Ron 
Perelman, he's the Revlon CEO, he made tabloid headlines with his divorce from Democratic fundraiser Patricia Duff. Both charged each other with physical abuse. They called each other's names publicly, and they were no strangers to conflict. This was Ron's third marriage and Patricia's fifth. On top of that, their daughter was thrown into the middle of the ring and used as a pawn in their attempts to crush each other. It's amazing that even with their billions of dollars, they still couldn't find a way to get along. For some people, managing relationships is tougher than managing a financial empire. If you want to be happy, you're going to have to learn to manage those relationships. Those who consider friendship and marriage, things like that, this disposable item, ultimately find themselves unhappy and alone. On the other hand, there was a recent study published in Men's Health magazine. It reveals that the happiest people, the healthiest people, are those who, whose relationships are strong and healthy. One specific in that study says that happy, happily married men live longer than single or divorced men. So guys, let's get married quick, okay? <laughs> we want to live longer. So I want to talk to you today about three things we can do to strengthen our relationships with others. Now, it applies to all relationships, friendships, romances, all kinds of relationships, anything. So let me kind of set it up a little bit. In the game of life, managing certain areas of our lives, we have to learn how to control certain things. Like we have to learn how to control the way we spend our time or spend our money. We have to learn how uh, to direct our careers. With money, however, or with relationships, however, it's different. It's very different. Managing your relationships isn't about control. It's about commitment. That nasty word, commitment. You can't control others. You just can't do it. You can only commit to them. In fact, the more you try to control other people, the more your relationship unravels. Instead of trying to control your relationships, today we're going to look at a few verses in the Bible that are they're ways to manage our relationships. There, there are three commitments we can make to strengthen the bonds between people. The first one is this, a commitment to loyalty. Loyalty. There was a group of friends who went deer hunting and they split up in pairs for the day. And at the end of the day, as the evening was coming in, one hunter returned alone, stumbling under the weight of an eight-point buck. The other guy said, where's Harry? The guy said, well, Harry fainted a couple of miles up on the trail. They said, you're kidding. You left him there and brought the deer back? He said, well, yeah, it was a tough call, but I figured nobody's going to steal Harry. (laughs) True friendship requires more than the loyalty Harry's friends showed him. You see, the people closest to you need to know how they measure up to you, how their relationship stacks up. I couldn't resist this one. There's another story about a guy who got married recently. And he, uh, 
little thought came in his head. He thought, I wonder if she just married me for my money. So he asked her, honey, if I lost all my money, would you still love me? And she said, she put her arm around him and said gently, well, don't be so silly, honey. Of course I would love you. I'd miss you terribly, but I would love you. <laughs> Those people closest to you need to know that they have your loyalty. Mr. Wise Man Solomon, he said, there are persons for companionship, but there are friends who are more loyal than family. Solomon differentiates between companions and close friends. Another word for com companion might be acquaintance. There's a difference between knowing someone on a personal level and just or knowing them on a sur surface level and uh, knowing them intimately. I've talked to a few people that they'll tell me how close they are to somebody. Oh yeah, they're real close friends of ours and I'll dig a little bit and find out. And they've been out to dinner with them like once. They don't hang out with them, or, but supposedly they're great friends, deep friends. An acquaintance is a person you get along with as long as everything goes well between the two of you. A close friend stays with you no matter what. You see, the people in your life are imperfect. Did you notice that? They're going to make mistakes. Sometimes they will make huge mistakes. Are you committed to them only as long as they do what you want? Are you committed to them only as long as they personally benefit you in the relationship? Or can they depend on you even when they slip? Now, I'm not talking about somebody that doesn't share any of your core values and, you know, they just live a totally opposite lifestyle from you. You're not a match, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people when they just make a mistake, even a big one. Job was in a mess. That story of Job in the Bible, everything's a mess. And he's got these three friends who uh, hear him kind of disown God, kind of say bad things toward God for letting him go through this. And they can't handle that, and they just want to put him out to pasture and desert him. Job says, in trouble like this, I need loyal friends, whether I've forsaken God or not. See, I've known plenty of self-righteous people who have a friend that does something wrong, something unbiblical, and they're like, they get so puffy. Oh, how could they have done that? I can't possibly stay their friend. I don't know if that's right. The fact is that your loyalty may help them get back on track. You don't have to disown them. There's a beautiful love story in the Old Testament about a man named Hosea and his wife, Gomer. Just a side note here. You know how in the Bible, a few times names are changed, like Abram to Abraham, uh, Jacob was changed to Israel, Simon to Peter. Why didn't Hosea change Gomer's name? I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but that name. Hope nobody's named Gomer in here. <clears throat> the story of Hosea's love for his wife 
is used as a metaphor depicting God's love for us. God told Hosea to love Gomer even though she was a prostitute. Told told Hosea to love her even though she was an adulteress. Even though her name was Gomer, love her. After Gomer had deserted Hosea, he went looking for her. He found her on the auction block, being sold as a prostitute slave. And at that auction, Hosea bought his own wife back. He said, so I bought her for six ounces of silver and 10 bushels of barley. Then I told her, you must wait for me for many days. In the Hebrew faith, there was a a tradition of, of a cleansing. You had to wait a while. He said, you must not be a prostitute and you must not have sexual relations with any other man. I will act the same way toward you. He's saying, I will be loyal toward you. Managing your relationships is not about control. It's about commitment. And it begins with a commitment to give those people close to you your undying loyalty, even when they mess up when they let you down, when they fail, when they desert you. You don't have to condone what they do, but you can continue to be their friend. It may be just what they need. Here's a second commitment to make, and that's to listen. Open up your ears. Somebody just said between services, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Must be a reason for that. I was at Office Depot once, and I... This new, improved technological item caught my eye. It was a $400 speakerphone. You know, the type that you put on the conference table in a business and everybody can use it. The main selling point on the box said this, now you can talk and listen at the same time. (laughs) This is not what we need in relationships, business or personal. We already have a problem talking and listening at the same time. We don't need technology to help us make it worse. Mark Horowitz is convinced that everybody needs a sounding board. He was convinced when thousands of dinner invitations came to him. It was the result of him being on a photo shoot for Crate and Barrel. And he was going to have lunch with somebody and they didn't have anywhere to write So he wrote his name for the other person. It said, have lunch with Mark, phone number. Well, that whiteboard got caught in one of the photographs and ended up in the Crate and Barrel magazine. And that's when the phone call started. Horowitz was an aspiring artist, so he decided to turn the calls into a project. He planned to do this nationwide road trip and go to dinner with anybody that called him. He had a mean lasagna in Georgia. He was invited to coffee in Wisconsin. He was invited to a Shabbat dinner, a Jewish dinner in Maryland, all from complete strangers. Here's what he concluded. A lot of people are lonely and they just want to talk to somebody. They just want to connect with somebody and be listened to. A commitment to listen will never disappoint a friend. It will solidify the bond. And just the opposite is true. 
Remember the movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? If you want to lose a friend in 10 days, just convince them that you don't want to hear what they have to say. There was a, sub a subscriber to a magazine. The magazine is called Theater Arts. He dialed directory assistant to get the phone number for Theater Arts. The operator said, sorry, sir, but there's no one here listed by the name Theodore Arts. The man said, no, it's not a person, it's a publication. I want the listing for theater arts. The operator wasn't very interested, said, sir, I told you, we don't have a listing for theater arts. This guy gets really upset and in a loud voice he says, the word is theater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E. -E. I need the listing for theater arts. The operator said, sir, that is not how you spell Theodore. Some people hear, but they don't listen. One of the greatest gifts you can give someone is to listen. You know what it's like. In your mind, you're constructing the next sentence. And when the other person takes a breath, oh, you get right in there and give your reply. Stephen Covey, he wrote, Good to Great. He said, many people don't listen with intent to understand they listen with intent to reply. Guys, we know how this is. The wife is talking to us, trying to get us to understand, and all we're doing is thinking of the fix. And when she shuts up, we'll fix the problem, right? Are we really committed to her if all we're trying to do is be the fixer? The Bible says answering before listening is both stupid and rude. That's the message translation. Sometimes they just nail it, don't they? Here's another verse in James. Let every man be quick to hear and slow to speak. There's nothing manipulative about listening. You can't try to control somebody by listening to them. A willingness to listen tells the other person, I place high value on you. Managing your relationship involves a commitment, a commitment to listen. One more, this is kind of obvious, but we don't do so great. A commitment to love. I hate to admit this, but <clears throat> a couple of months ago, I was flipping between, I think, the Weather Channel and a football game, and just briefly, I stumbled, just briefly, had stumbled across a rerun of the love boat. I couldn't help myself and I, I got caught up in it. Please don't worry, I've started therapy and I will break free soon. But the captain was performing this ceremony, wedding ceremony, and he went through the vows and said this, do you promise to love her, cherish her, honor her, and keep her as long as you both shall love? Now, of course, the traditional wedding ceremony says, as long as you both shall live. But I guess the love boat modified it to give people a back door. You know, we'll stay together as long as the feeling's there, but if that goes away, we're free to bail. We live in a society that equates love with emotion. Many people think love is something you feel. And although there is some feelings involved, especially romantic love, but the truth is, love is something you do. It's a commitment you make. 
And that commitment is way stronger than the feelings because those come and go. Almost everyone is familiar with the love chapter. We hear it at a lot of weddings. It says, love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. If that's what love is, then it's obviously not about feelings. It's not about control, is it? All the giving up it has in that chapter. It's about a commitment. It's an attitude that says, I want the best for you. Too often we disguise our concern for others. we, We say it's our concern, but what we're really doing is disguising something we really want out of the relationship. I had a fleeting moment where I wasn't quite that way. That's normally how I am. I can be very selfish, you know, I'll admit it. But one time, this was when I was on staff at a church in Tampa, and uh, I had a really good friend there. His name was Randy. Well, he moved to uh, another location, quite far from the church. His wife and, and he, you know, they stayed involved, they served faithfully for about a year before they started wearing out. He was sharing with me once when we were playing golf that uh, he was getting frustrated. He said, David, you know, I really love the church and I want to be so involved. I'm the kind of guy who wants to, to be called if the sink has a leak and run down there and fix it real quick but I just can't do that anymore with this distance thing. Then he said to me, David, do you think I should find a church closer to where I live? Now, I really loved having Randy and Beth in our church. You know, I got to see Randy on a regular basis. But I was so committed to loving this guy and being genuine and honest with him that I I had something rolling around in my head. I also knew that there was a great church right around the corner from him at his new house. I told him, why don't you try it? Why don't you and Beth just give it a try? I mean, that church was close enough where he could go fix the sink on his bike and come back. He could walk. I almost felt like I'd get in trouble when I went back to my church and told the staff what I did. Because, you know, usually people don't want to be like that. Well, let them keep coming here. We'll we'll let them serve half as much because they live so far. Well, Randy got involved in that church, big time involved. He led a life group, a home group, Bible study group, instead of going to the one I had. He got involved in many ways in that church. In fact, he moved again to Asheville, North Carolina. He lives there now. He's involved in a church there that, that's close by. He's on the leadership board and, and he's just doing a bang up job of advancing the kingdom of God. And year, years ago, a few years ago, he told me about that golf game in Tampa. He reminded me about it. And he said, you know, 
that was rare. That doesn't happen very often in my life where people are that honest and, and had my interest in mind instead of theirs. And to me, that was just an indication of what people want. The, the Bible says that people long for trustworthiness. They long for it. They want it so badly. If you love others, then you'll show them you, that you're committed to what's best for them. You may be selfish. You know, people tell me, oh, I may be doing this or that. It'll take me away from the church. And I'll joke and say, oh, that's completely outside of God's will. Try to make them feel bad and chuckle about it. But then I've got to turn around and say, no. If that's what God wants in your life, man, I'm going to be praying for you. If you'll do that, you're going to gain people's trust. You're going to influence their life. You know, if I'd put Randy on a guilt trip, who, who knows what would have happened at the other churches? Love is something you do. By definition, it is unselfish in nature. So make that commitment too. We have many areas of our lives to manage in the game of life. In most cases, we need to take control, take the reins. You have to take control of your time. You have to take control of your money, your diet, your career, all kinds of things. But your relationships are a different matter. It's about commitment, not control. So as you manage these relationships in your life, make commitments. Make a commitment to be loyal. Stick in there with them. Help them through whatever is the problem. Make a commitment to listening. You know, when you learn anything in counseling or uh, anything like that, they, they, learn, they teach you how to listen actively, active listening. It means you, you make little sounds like, mm-hmm, to let them know you're listening. That, that's what they'll tell you it's for, mm-hmm. You're letting them know you're listening. I think there's another reason for mm-hmm. Remind you, you should keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. And make a commitment to love. Real biblical love. Godly love. It's a commitment. Do this and you'll be the best friend people have ever had. I knew we were going to end a little bit early, so I kind of want to take some time. Don't let me scare you, but I know in this big of a room... There are many people who are struggling with relationships yourself or maybe you know about other people. Maybe they're in your family, but maybe you have some kind of influence in their universe and you want to help. So I think we should go to God about this and ask him to help. Do you know that God, his whole reason for sending Jesus was to reconcile humanity to himself? And that's why Jesus came. Jesus is this bridge to get us back to God. Jesus gave up his life to get us reconciled in a relationship. And you know what else the Bible says? That he has given that ministry of reconciliation to us. Now, he is talking about to bring people back to God, to help the whole deal of God's relationship, but I can't imagine it not including friendships, not including 
church people, you know, nasty old church people who argue and fight with each other. You can't imagine God not wanting that to stop and getting back together. Families, why would he want us to be bickering? So you know he wants this. So I'm going to ask you if you'd be brave enough to just, and this isn't going to take much bravery. Bravery would be come up here and preach, okay? I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and if you're struggling in a relationship, whether it's directly or indirectly, bow your heads, close your eyes right now. Would you just slip your hand up and let me know if you're struggling in this area? Don't be afraid because there's a bunch of hands going to go up. They're already up. Okay, that's all you had to do. Go ahead, keep your eyes closed, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know about relationships. Lord, I'm reminded that you created the universe. You created man. You said, let's create man and woman in our image. You've got a relationship in the Father, Son, and Spirit. You know relationships. Jesus, you know about relationships. You know about uh, 12 guys that you built an unbelievable amount of trust and and relationships. You, You know the hurt. You know what Judas did. So you understand it to the nth degree. And these people that raised their hands, Lord, you saw those hands. You see those hearts. And I ask you, Father God, that you would touch them with wisdom, with windows of opportunity, with bravery, with courage, and you would bless those relationships, that you you would make it come to fruition what you said, that you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. Would you help them in every way? And Lord... Let us all be careful to give you the praise, to give you the thanks, to give all the glory to you for working things out, for making everything glorious. You make all things glorious because you're God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Let's stand and sing one more song before we go.